From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to our Bloomberg Radio and television audiences. I'm Shanali Basak, and joining me now for an exclusive interview is Paco Ibarra. He's the CEO of the Institutional Clients Group at Citigroup. Thank you for joining us. You know, Paco, you run one of the biggest, biggest trading and investment banking businesses in global Wall Street, across the globe. You also run the Treasury and Security Services business at Citigroup, one of the fastest growing parts of the business. I think it's worth talking about at this point in the markets, a lot of question about the direction of travel, particularly for trading and investment banking, where there was a boom time in 2021. So what does normal look like moving forward, particularly for trading, when we see some businesses? Just a few minutes ago, we had reported that uh, Citadel Securities faced a 35% drop in the business. What does normal look like the rest of the year? Well, uh, the reality is that we don't know very well. I think we have to remember that trading businesses are still good. If you compare uh, overall industry trading revenues to what they were in 2020 or 2019. The numbers are significantly higher. So uh, it's not bad. It's, they look worse if you compare them to recent, so the 22, 2022 years. But they are still very healthy. And what drove that health in trading revenues is still around. We still have uncertainty in rates. There is uh, you know, uncertainty about the economic situation. There's a lot of trading and readjustment of portfolios that has to happen. So. I don't think um, I have reasons to be very negative about what trading revenues are going to be in the coming quarters, but the truth is that I don't know. Now, some businesses, say commodities, have faced a fall off over the last several months. However, things like rates. How much of a structural headwind or tailwind is that to the industry now that we have a new economic regime across the world? Yeah, I think rates is a positive part of uh, the story because we have to remember that we've had many years with zero rates, uh, with rates almost dead, you know, very little uncertainty about rates we're going to do. And we have now uh, a comeback of the rates business with uncertainty about what they're going to do, but with a rate to play with. We didn't have a rate to play with before. So I think rates is going to continue to be, is now and continue to be a very active part of our trading markets. What about other parts of the business, investment banking? There has been a prolonged slump. There have been headcount reductions at many Wall Street firms, including yours. At what point do you see the needle starting to turn, or do you think it could be a lot worse before things start to get really better? I don't think it can be a lot worse because uh, it's limited by the need. The need is there, and, and the need is accumulating through you know, months of inactivity. So at some point, even if the market situation is not great, the fact that needs have accumulated will, will take over and will start generating revenue. It's also has, it has also been one of the longest slumps on investment banking revenues that we have experienced. It's longer than the one that followed the financial crisis. So it has to turn at some point, because the, the reason for those activities to be there and to happen has not gone away. 
We cannot say exactly when, but I think it's more likely to come back than to go in the other direction. In anticipation of that, does that mean that workforce reductions in that space are definitively over, or can there be more pressure? Given the competition you're seeing across the industry, how are you thinking about headcount in the investment bank in particular? Yeah, there could be more pressure, but if you look at the reductions overall in the industry, they are small compared to the slump in revenue. So people have been holding back and are trying to keep capacity for when the turn happens. I think things would get worse if that turn doesn't happen, but as I just said, I, I think it's more likely to happen than not. What about trading? The interesting thing is that there have been a number of departures in trading over the last year or so when you look at Citigroup, but really there has been a lot of competition from hedge funds, private equity firms for every bank in this industry. Yeah. What does that look like? And is this a matter of competition or a matter of how you're managing the business differently? I think it has to do with um, the regulatory regime, capital constraints, and what are banks good at uh, given the regulatory regime. And I think there are things that we were doing before that just don't make sense for us to do. And there are things that continue to be profitable and, and things that are necessary to our clients and we continue to do for them. Uh, we still don't know what the final regime is going to be. As you know, this week we're going to have a better sense of what the treatment of trading revenues, trading activities is going to be. Uh, but that, until we get that, we will not be able to know um, more definitively what is the tra what should the trading business of a bank look like. Well, let's talk about that a little more. You're talking about the Basel III endgame final proposal here that's going to come out. There will be a comment period for the banks to really uh, push back on some parts of that. It'll be a while before it takes effect, but they are pretty drastic, these rules. How significantly can it change the businesses that you're operating in now? It could, uh, although I am more optimistic than that. I think the, uh, these businesses have shown many times that they can adjust. And I think we will learn what the rules are, and we will adjust as well. And most likely, there will be a significant business for us to do still after the rules happen. Also, the markets will adjust. There will be things that will be moving from banks to non-banks, risks that will be moving from banks to non-banks. And the system will find a new balance on this thing, with banks still playing a significant role. That's what I think will happen. But the rules themselves can have a significant impact. What are some of the businesses more specifically that you might have to take a look at, whether it's in the mortgage area, where there will be higher capital requirements or certain parts of trading? Are there areas that you can see having to take a look at if these rules were to take effect? There are. I mean, we, we have to wait for the rules and see what, how the rules impact. There are areas in, say, for instance, exotics, exotic derivatives that may be much more costly to run from a capitalist standpoint. Financing can, may change as well. Businesses like Prime could be seen differently. The market will adjust to that as well. So we don't know what the final impact will be. But anything to do with financing with leverage, we're going to have to see how it you know, ends after the regulation comes out. Uh, but it's difficult to say because it's not just what the rule says, it's what the rule says plus how the market reacts to it plus how the banks react to it, where we'll define the end result. One important part of this is the concern that is under the market, that treasury intermediation could be significantly impacted from some of these rules. Do you think that that is an area that might face further pressure at a time where there are concerns under the surface about liquidity? I'm not sure that this, the new rules are going to impact that very much. That is already impacted by the existing rules. Sometimes. Um, depending on which constraint you're under as a bank, you may be limited in your ability to do very almost riskless transactions with treasuries because of the leverage ratio or other, or other capital constraints. That is already a, f a factor. I'm not sure it is going to get worse with these regulations, but we will have to see.
You mentioned leverage. When you look across the system, there has been a lot of instances in which leverage has come to the surface, uh, hidden pockets of leverage, if you will, that have led to very large financial calamities, if not systemic, certainly impacting certain markets. Uh, the LDI pension blowup, for example, being one of them. You saw this in the banking system. To the extent that you're still concerned about leverage in the system after such a long set of pro uh, prolonged low interest rates, what are you still worried about? Well, um, you know, you're, it's true that leverage is always present when you have something going wrong. But it's not just it's leverage plus market move. What you had in interest rates was a massive move in rates after a very, very long period of of very, very low interest rates. And you, you would have expected that that would cause some problems. You know, if you look at the problems, they are not that gigantic. I mean, it is not, it's not like uh, the system came down, right? It is not, there are problems that have been relatively well digested up to this point. But if you take a look at spreads right now and certain kind of higher yielding credit products, you would think that there is no issues, but bankruptcies are still ticking higher slowly. Do you think the market is too complacent? Maybe, maybe. I think the, so we haven't seen a, a deterioration in credit yet of any, maybe in some sectors, maybe leverage finance, we saw some of it, maybe in real estate. But if you look at the fundamentals of middle market credit, it hasn't really deteriorated that much. And banks are not seeing that in their portfolios yet. So we may be too optimistic about that. And, we may, and, and we're all waiting for something to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So we haven't had a real credit cycle. Uh, and that is dangerous because if it comes, you know, it will be something that people, many people will not know, will not have had experience dealing with. With our remaining time, I want to talk about some of these changes at Citigroup because they've been coming fast. They've been coming in the last couple of years. Your security services business has seen an uptick in assets under custody. You added 100 basis points of market share in the last year. Why is this a business that you are betting on so intensely? And what does it say about the future of Citigroup? Because we have um, put a lot of emphasis on services businesses, we, and we mean, what we mean by that is businesses that help our clients do their business, their everyday business. In the case of investors, security services is very important, how you handle securities. Uh, in the case of corporates, it's transaction banking and cash management and trade. So um, in there, what we have is an enormous advantage because of our network, and we're trying to make sure that we leverage that advantage and we provide something that is unique and differentiated in the market. And I think in the last few years, maybe historically, but particularly, particularly in the last few years, we've been able to build on that. Now, in the trading business as well, I know we've been talking about it a lot, but seriously, the changes have been very significant. You've gotten out of FX strategy. You've gotten out of the business of providing subscription credit lines to PE firms. What is the direction of travel? What can the market expect for you to make changes in in the coming 12 months? Well, if you look at our market's business, we're making more money in markets now than we're making in 2019. So it is not, we haven't done something dramatic to the business. But we've had, had to be very careful about capital usage because of the rules that we mentioned, uh, because we want the business to be profitable, obviously. So, um, you know, what you see is many times the consequence of paying that, that much attention to capital. Sometimes so, that means turning clients away. How have they been reacting? So we will filter through that. So we, the things that we will get out of are things that are not that important to our clients and that are not producing a lot of returns. If something is very important to our clients and is not producing returns, we will have second thoughts. But maybe in the end, we have to also reduce that activity. So it's a combination of what is important to clients and what is profitable to us. And we have to find the right balance between the two. Paco, thank you so much for your time today. That is Paco Ibarra. He's the CEO of the Institutional Clients Group over at Citigroup. This is Bloomberg.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.